on the show today, we don't have many topics, just two, but they have a lot that's worth discussing. We are talking about the Asbury Revival and Andy Stanley. Like I said, a lot to discuss, so let's get going. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hi. And we are very grateful that you guys are joining us today. And if you are new here, as we like to say, don't let the name fool you. Um, we ourselves are, we consider ourselves religious folks, Christian folk. Uh, we love the Lord, but the country that we're in and the world that we're in uh, seems to be getting more and more secular, more and more religionless, if you will. And that's where the name comes from. And uh, as we do each and every week, try to help you guys navigate the news. Um, how do we digest it? How do we understand the world around us and keep our eyes fixed on Christ through all of the, the craziness that goes on? And that's what we're going to try to do again today, as we always do. Um, as we used to say, we don't say it quite so much anymore, but we're not theologians, apologists, pastors. We're just Christians. So I think James White says you study the Word of God and you're a theologian. We are theologians <laughs> in a sense because we do study. And I am in seminary, so I am working towards becoming a theologian. <laughs> but I say that to say if we get something wrong or we say something you disagree with, please don't beat us over the head as heretics. Maybe we just don't know any better. <laughs> so please jump in the comments help us out. We'll have some dialogue. Um, keep it civil. I mean, we're, we're not, you know, here trying to lead anybody astray. But um, yeah, that's just who we are. So again, welcome. And for those of you that have been here for a while, well, you know what you get. So uh, before we dive into the news of the week, honey, is there anything that you would like to say? Um, I don't have any major prayer requests. I mean, we're just Getting ready to move again, just, and just pray for us to keep our sanity, <laughs> that yep. we'll be able to fit everything in the U-Haul, um, yeah, and maybe part with some things we don't need to hold on to. <laughs> yeah, Nikki's keen on trying to get rid of things, and I'm convincing her, you know, we're in the military, and the military pays by weight, so getting rid of things is not ideal. So we'll see if we get rid of anything, but we do like to move ourselves. So we just load up the U-Haul and, you know, travel across country. And, uh, you know, we've done it enough times. It's not anything too outrageous, but it does get to be a bit of a burden. Um, and each move, the older you get, just gets less and less enjoyable. You know, we're like, you know, mm. less than a month out now, we got like 10 boxes packed. We're like, oh, we'll get to it eventually. That's why I was asking so. if we could get a house on base that was single level. But no, didn't it's happen. Not that fun. Way. Those stairs in this housing, which we've lived in this housing before, they're pretty steep. It's a long flight of stairs. We'll make it though, <laughs> by the grace of God. Um, but otherwise, I don't really have any prayer requests either. Well, I guess you could pray for me. I've been a little under the weather this week. Yeah. Um, Seem to be getting better, uh, but just maybe lift up a prayer for me and uh, just help 
maybe pray for my time management. You know, when I get a little bit sick or down, I get behind. You know, we do a lot for this podcast each week. You know, we try to get six episodes out a week and that's difficult. And then when there's any kind of speed bumps, hiccups, it just makes everything a little bit more difficult. So just pray for our time management. Um, just, I guess, as an FYI going forward, we're probably going to have some downtime going forward for a week or two as the move gets underway. Probably not going to be recording from a hotel room with our kids on the bed behind us or anything. So <laughs> we'll probably just be taking a week or two off. We'll let you guys know as that gets closer. Uh, but just pray for all of that. We would certainly appreciate it. Um, all right. Quickly, Cardinal Contingency Solutions. You guys know that we are fans of Cardinal. We recommend you go check out Cardinal. Uh, of the most importance, I think, for our audience and who we talk to is sort of their travel risk management. You know, we talk to you guys a lot about churches, missionaries, and these sorts of folks that are going to be going to do the Lord's work all over the world. And uh, most places around the world are not quite as kind towards Christians as um, America is. And it's best to send them out prepared, as prepared as possible. And, you know, all you need at the end of the day is, you know, maybe a Bible and a love for the Lord. But it does help if you're also sort of prepared for the environment you're going to, if you're prepared for how to handle yourself in an environment, if you understand what resources as an American citizen are available to you, should something, you know, like a, a, a war kind of breaks out, like we read about months ago in Panama and a city sort of collapses around you, what are you going to do? Well, there's options. You just don't, most normal people don't know about them. Cardinal does. They can help you guys get prepared before you go. Just reach out to them, send them an email, and uh, I'm sure you'd be more than pleased with what you get back from them. They're God-fearing men, so uh, just consider Cardinal. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Also, we do want to mention the Homegrown Generation Family Expo that's going on starting at March 16th. You can see, or March 6th, I'm sorry. See here, they got a schedule. It's a four-day sort of online expo. Just a lot of things, kind of all things sort of homeschooling central. So if you're a homeschooler and you need some encouragement, some ideas, it's a great place to go. If you're considering homeschooling, it's a great place to maybe give you that little extra nudge that you need to kind of make the leap. And if you aren't considering homeschooling, what in heaven's name are you waiting for? Have you seen the public school systems in this country? Homeschool your kids. And the Homegrown Generation Family Expo is a good place to go for that. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes. I think it's like $35 and you get lifetime access to this expo, the previous expo. You know, it's like 40 hours worth of content. So if you're interested in that, go follow that link and see what they have to offer. All righty then. We're going to skip the scary music this week. We don't really have any scary news to yeah. discuss. Uh, I mean, outside of Andy Stanley's theology, nothing all that scary, but we'll get into that here pretty soon. So the only news article, though, that Andy Stanley will kind of be our Bible topic, but the only news story that we wanted to discuss was uh, the Asbury Revival. I'm sure at this point you guys have 
heard plenty Christian about the Asbury. Yeah, yes. It's, <laughs> it's popping off in the Christian circles, as the kids would say. Not me, of course. I'm a grown man. But as the kids would say. You know. okay. But a lot's been said about this Asbury revival already. We just want to give our two cents on the matter, basically. Um, so before we kind of dive into the articles that we're going to use to kind of make our case here, just something that we discussed initially when this whole thing was breaking out, um, the idea of a revival among already professing and somewhat committed believers seems odd to us. You know, we're not, you know, mm -hmm. historians on church revival, um, but this is taking place at a Christian university, you know, it's mm -hmm. a Asbury seminary. It's like, were they known to not be walking with the Lord and some had to revive? Like revival implies you were lacking or dead in a sense, spiritually. I'm, I'm just thinking maybe it's the wrong word to use. Is it a revival? They're reviving from what, what were they, what were they dead in? That's what, you know, again, seemed weird to us. So if you guys know more about the history of sort of church revival, let us know, but just the idea that these guys are, they're going to a Christian university, a seminary, you know, they're believers that are actively involved in growing spiritually. They're not just dead, dying Christians. Right. Um, so it would seem like, what is the need of a revival in that place? Mm -hmm. um, again, it just seems like an odd place for a revival to break out. Um, again, I could be wrong. Maybe this is very commonplace in church history, but seems odd. That's all that struck me initially when we were reading the first couple articles was like, why do Christians that are actively searching for the Lord and a deeper understanding need to be revived. Seems like the Spirit's doing what He yeah. needs to do if in their life. It was like a news reporting, you know, like downtown Detroit or something, and they're reporting like, you know, like people and the living in the streets, like the homeless or the pimps and the prostitutes are just pouring into this church or churches. And they're just falling on their face, just crying out to the Lord and repenting. Okay. I'd be like, that's revival. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or even if it was one of those churches, you know, like, I don't know, I don't, can't even think of a church, but you know, the sort of high Calvinist where like, we don't even need to preach the gospel because the Lord will save who he wants to save. And they're just like dusty old. Yeah. And then if the Holy Spirit came and they're like, you know, shouting for joy and, you know, telling their neighbors about Christ. Like right. you go, wow, that's a real transformation. You know, it's very shocking. A heart for the loss, like mourning over those who are in sin, who are dead in their sin still. Yeah. yeah. So again, we could be off base here. And this isn't a slight on this whole revival thing. It's just seems like an odd place for a revival to break out. Um, but that really takes us to our first news story here. Or first article, not a news story. The news story is Asbury. Um, so first and foremost, when discussing this Asbury revival is that this is not a unique claim by Asbury in any stretch, which is what the news media tries to make it out to be. Even on their, um, Asbury university website here, it says Asbury university has been known through the years for its history of great revivals. Um, so this is something that they are known for a, a 
apparently, and they're proud of. Um, and they have a lot of these revivals. And oddly enough, they all happen in February or March, mostly in February. So as we go down through here, they had a revival in February 1905, February 1908, February 1921, February 1950, hmm. March 1958, February 1970, March 1992, and last time, February 2006. Right before social media took off was the last one. Right before social media mm -hmm. took off was the last one. So if these are all true revivals, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit hibernates and he wakes up in the spring to sweep <laughs> over his people. And maybe this early spring, late winter is when the spirit is revived. Okay. I don't know why February or March is kind of when they have these great revivals. That is weird. Um, but also, most of these revivals lasted multiple days or even weeks. You know, if you go back in here and look uh, in 1908, uh, it's said to have lasted two weeks. Hmm. 1921, it's said to have lasted for three days. Um, 1950 is interesting because it sounds sort of like what we have today. You know, they talk about um, student testimonies led to confessions and victories and more testimonies, which is kind of what they're reporting now. Um, and that led for, or that lasted for uh, 118 hours, so multiple days. 1958 lasted 68 hours. 1970, you know, same sort of deal as um, today, lasted 144 hours. 1992 lasted 127 hours, and then 2006, four days of continuous worship and prayer. So this is, again, we're not discounting Asbury's revival, but we're saying it is in no way unique or even surprising, really, that it would happen at Asbury and that it would go in the way that it is, because this is what they state happens quite frequently in the history of their um, university. and. The interesting one here is in 1992, it says a student confession during the closing um, chapel of the annual holiness conference. So I don't know if this, this is something that still continues on to this day, that these holiness conferences happen sort of February, March timeframe, and maybe that's why these revivals happen at this time of the year throughout their church history is that this is when these or these conferences and holiness mm -hmm. are happening. Um, so could be something, I mean, again, it's all worth noting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just thought that was weird, you know, because when you read the news now, they're like, this is something unexpected, you know, this outpouring of the Holy spirit, you know, it's completely mm -hmm. out of nowhere, unexpected, but then you look at it and you're like, well, maybe it's they, not really out of nowhere. Maybe they just mean they didn't plan it. So sure, whenever yeah. it's happened, maybe they didn't expect it to happen. And that's all they mean. Yeah. Well, and again, we have no indication that they necessarily, although as we go through our kind of notes here on them, you know, we'll see if, you know, we can come up with any other reasons, I suppose, as to why uh, maybe this is going on there. Um, but the last, or they're, this revival um, this year, 2023, right? The one we're talking about. 
Uh, it seems to have kicked off on February 8th um, is when this one started. And I just want to make that point because we read somebody's post on Facebook or whatever. They posted something, um, a supposed prophecy from the late Bob Jones of sort of the Kansas City prophets infamy. And I say infamy because they're false prophets. But the prophecy was supposedly that revival would break out after the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. That's what this girl said. Um, Bob Jones prophesied that. And the girl making the post said, you know, I really thought 2020, because I think that was the last time the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. 2020, um, revival was going to break out and Bob Jones prophecy was going to come true. And then she says, ultimately, the revival never happened. But now, Asbury has proven that Bob Jones' prophecy was correct. And I just want to point out that that is wrong. Uh, the Super Bowl took place on February 12th, and this supposed revival started on February 8th. So I would just, in case anybody else saw that going around, Bob Jones was not a prophet. Um, I mean, it was bound to happen. You're just lining up the months you know, just looking at all the, the years that the revival has happened has been around the time of the Super Bowl. So it was bound to happen eventually. But well, right. And also, <laughs> when you consider Bob Jones, he's from Kansas City. So the Chiefs would make sense <sighs> that he would pick. But also, you know, he's sort of a Bethel guy where they're revival culture. So like, they pray for revival every single day. And anytime, you know, someone breaks out in you know, tongues in their service. It's a revival service, you know, kind of a thing. So who knows what would have been claimed if he were still alive. But I would just just want to make that point. He wasn't a prophet. This is not a prophecy being fulfilled by Bob Jones. Right. Um, they, the dates not. are close, but they are not lined up. And again, as we always say, there's only two kinds of prophets in the Bible. There's a real prophet, and then there's false prophets. <laughs> and false prophets are the ones whose prophecies don't come true. Um, even one false prophecy means you're a false prophet and false prophets are evil men. Yeah. So uh, Bob Jones was discredited as a prophet long before this. But again, just wanted to make that point in case you saw that going around. Um, yeah. Lying about hearing God's voice. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> well, it should be. Um, sadly, in today's church, it doesn't seem to be. If you heard God's voice, you wouldn't get it wrong. You'd be you would be certain of what he said. So do you want to read this next article's headline, honey? Revival underway at Asbury University in Kentucky. The Holy Spirit was tangible in the room. Yep. So it was tangible. And this is what we've seen on social media and stuff. Um, you know, certain people have talked about, you know, they were there and they could just feel, you know, the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit and stuff like this. Um, so we never went there. So we can't necessarily claim that one way or the other. I would say if you were close, if we were close, I would go there um, just to check it out for myself. I don't think there'd be any harm in that. And, right. you know, and our prayer is that this is real. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. we'll just put that out now. We're not going to say like, condemn this thing as some sort of heretical practice. I hope that this is a true revival and it sweeps the nation because we need it. Yeah. Uh, and you don't badly. know if there's people, because nothing there is planned, like people can just go up and pray and speak. God can still revive hearts 
through this, even though it's probably very social media driven, um, God can move someone to get up there and speak a convicting message. They could preach on sin, repentance, and people there can be moved by that message and be revived. So that's our prayer. Um, and I'm, I'm, I feel confident that God w- will use this. I think there will be testimonies that come out of this just because there's so many people showing up. A lot are going just because they want to see it. They're just curious. But I think God will draw people there and, um, and they'll hear what they should hear. I just, I think there will be good fruit, but I'm not thinking it's revival as a whole. Like we said, they're already believers. Well, yeah. So again, th- at least to us, that yeah. seems bizarre yes. or unique in the sense of revivals. But again, we don't know revival history that well. So let us know if we're wrong on that. Um, but this article here um, from CBN down here, it says, Alexandria or Alexandra Presta, the editor of the student-run website, the Asbury Collegian, wrote an article published February 8th. As a senior, I have never witnessed anything like this. So again, as we mentioned earlier, she may not have ever ever seen anything like this, but Asbury certainly has um, many times. So again, this is not unique in any way to Asbury. Um, Again, they're quite well-versed in this sort of revival, at least in their seminary's history. And it also says in here, let me see if I can find it. I think it's, I think it states it in here. Hmm. I can't find it in here, but whatever. The articles will be linked if you guys want to go read these. Um, But it also states that Asbury University is a private Christian university in Wilmore, Kentucky, with roots in the Wesleyan holiness movement. Now, I'm not a scholar of Wesleyan holiness, um, but even according to Asbury's website, um, which again states that they follow this Wesleyan holiness, um, and it says, believers may and should seek a subsequent work of God where through grace imparted by the Spirit, they are made full of the love of God. So Mm. Asbury, I think, like I suppose probably all holiness denominations, are expecting a move of the Holy Spirit like this. Um, You know, this sort of revival to happen on their lives. Um, So again, I wouldn't see, it doesn't seem that far-fetched to me that they would say that it's happening. Again, we're not trying to discount it. We're just giving alternate ideas, right? As if it's not a true revival of the Holy Spirit, why might it be happening? And again, if you're a holiness denomination and you're expecting this sort of second outpouring of the Spirit to seal you in this Christian perfection, then you're actively seeking, I would assume, to bring about this Holy Spirit kind of revival. Um, And it's also worth noting Bethel Church, who is a huge revival culture church we've talked to you guys about recently, they also said, (laughs) you know, that after hearing about Asbury, they asked the Holy Spirit to fall on them the same way he did. And of course, 
he did. I according don't know. I don't think Bethel follows that same doctrine of the second work of the Holy Spirit with this holiness. Perfection. No, they're not a Wesleyan holiness. They're just revival. They just want the Holy Spirit to come, but they're not. If they're seeking, if Asbury's seeking the Holy Spirit for a certain thing, why would Bethel be seeking that same thing from the Holy Spirit? Because they're they're not known for that. If they're saying the same thing, fall on us the same way. They don't know what they're asking. Right. And I thought that was just, I guess, one reason of import to bring up the Bethel. And it's not just Bethel. There's a lot of churches around the country now that are saying revivals breaking out at their church. And I think this, again, if it's true and real, that's awesome. But this could speak to the social media aspect that Nikki mentioned. Social media is spreading this thing like wildfire or fire like never before. So is that just stirring up other churches, other people, other Christians to want to take part in this revival? And it's maybe inauthentic, you know, because while Asbury might be an authentic revival, we would say Bethel most certainly is not. So if just by pure imagination and emotional stirring, mm-hmm. you can claim a revival atmosphere like Bethel, right? then we should be cautious. We should test all things, right? As we're told to in First yeah. Thessalonians chapter 5, 21, test all things, right? And hold fast to that, which is true. And that's all we're trying to do here. Again, we're not trying to rain on Asbury's parade. We hope and pray that the revival is real right. and it sweeps far and wide. And in that respect, we hope Bethel's was real and they're crying out yeah, in repentance we, we for their false that. attributions of the Holy Spirit and their mis, <laughs> you know, abuse of the Lord's name. I mean, if it's getting a bunch of churches to ask the Holy Spirit to change their hearts, he will. I mean, God gives good gifts to those who ask. It might even be more believable, I suppose, if this really happened at Bethel (laughs) and they were all just repenting for their tarot card reading, false prophecy. Yeah, with all the stuff that's come out against them. That's a real with the book. (laughs) I heard that they removed that book from the shelves. Well, praise Um, the Lord for that. That um, physics of heaven book, because maybe mostly because Mike Winger was speaking up about it, but um, it's just kind of funny after this kind of correction on their teaching that's really been coming out and then them to be asking, Holy Spirit, fall on us, just like at Asbury. It's like, well, maybe they will repent. We can hope. Or, yeah, I mean, the church as a whole repents, or at least just some would break free, like that you know, young man whose video we watched, Breaking Bethel. At least be yeah. awoken to like, oh man, is that what the he's the one who because said. hopefully, yeah, I mean the truth would they would look and go, all right, if that's a real Holy Spirit revival, and all they're doing is repenting of their sins and sort of committing their life to Christ, but it's not this over the top exuberant sort of ridiculous, you know, riding God's love blood vessels. So if (laughs) that's the real Holy Spirit (laughs) revival, then what are we doing? Yeah. Um, Maybe I should second guess why I'm here and, you know, praise the Lord if that's true. So, uh, so I went and looked up a little bit about Wesleyan holiness. And again, this isn't like some academic research here. I just was kind of quickly trying to understand a little bit more about it. And I found this article here on 
Christianity.com. And it just says, what is the holiness movement and is it biblical? And down here, it says, while the movement affirms many aspects of orthodoxy, they do hold to multiple unbiblical teachings. So this article says, and then it says, uh, many traditional Methodists do not agree with the teachings and emphasis of the movement which to them was focused too much on emotions. Uh, so that doesn't lend itself, I guess, great. You don't want to be overly emotional. Uh, if, and I guess even if your own Methodist brethren are breaking away and saying like, oh, you kind of getting a little bit off into emotions there. I mean, again, I don't know how far reaching that is, but, you know, emotional type of stuff kind of, at least in our modern sensibility, leads you to think of like the Bethel type folks, right? Like, it's just, it's all emotion. It's all feeling. It's all, and again, it may not be based in scripture and the truth of God's word. It's just, well, I feel it. So it must be real. Close your eyes and say you're in heaven. Well, you're in heaven. Like, <laughs> no, you're not right. You're just emotionally, you feel something. It's, it's not the same thing. So, um, and then it says in this article here, two of the largest denominations in the holiness movement is the Church of the Nazarene and the Salvation Army. I did not know that. I did not know that either. Uh, and I went to Church of the Nazarene when before I married Spencer. Yeah. And, you know, she had mentioned, she was like, we never heard about holiness movements or anything there. Um, so again, this may be more or less prevalent at different places. I don't know. Um, I mean, every church is kind of yeah. unique in in themselves. So not too sure. Um, but in that article there, it says, Oh, do you want to read it, honey? Um, where are you at? That's right here. Oh, one of the key teachings of the holiness movement, which deviates from normal biblical teaching is that believers can achieve Christian perfection or entire sanctification within their lifetime. According to the holiness movement and church, the way a believer experiences entire sanctification is through the second blessing of the Holy Spirit in which he seals the believer into a sinless state. Yeah. So again, Asbury and sort of those in this holiness movement, you know, and again, maybe I'm wrong in how they assume this holy or this Holy Spirit sealing takes place. Um, but if they're expecting the Holy Spirit to sort of move and to come and like sanctify them this second time, then I guess maybe that would make sense why they're calling out in repentance, you know, giving mm -hmm. up this last bit of sin before I'm sealed in the spirit. Um, and I would assume also that they would be working, I guess, or trying to invite the Holy Spirit, right? Bring that in to their their atmosphere, I would assume, right? You'd be praying that the Holy Spirit would come and seal like you. Like do it collectively instead of just individually. Right. I Why mean, not? I don't know if the holiness movement is just like, can't rush the spirit. He'll be here when he's here. Or if they're like, you know, pray, let's invite the Holy Spirit. Let's have him come if and sanctify us. this is something you can usher in, why don't they do them all the time? Right. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to say that this holiness movement is like the Bethel revival culture where they're just like, Oh, you know, the Lord told me he's coming tomorrow. So let's 
pray for a revival. Like if they're just saying like, well, no, we want to be sealed. So let's pray and ask that he seals us. Let's do it today. And if he doesn't do it today, let's do it tomorrow. If he doesn't do it tomorrow. Let's do it the next day. Which again, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with wanting the Holy Spirit to, you know, purify me and sanctify me. Right, right. Um, now, I would disagree with Christian holiness um, or Christian perfection, as they would call it. But again, just trying to think about why might this revival be happening and why might it be happening there? Because it happens there frequently is all I'm really kind of tossing out here. Yeah. And then just also on this idea, you know, as a, I guess, a side note, if you want to call it that, um, Pentecostalism as sort of a um, Christian sort of umbrella of denominations, if you want to call I don't know how you want to classify Pentecostalism. Um, it was really born in 1906. Uh, it's a fairly new trend in Christianity. And it was started with the Azusa Street Revival. So a revival there. Um, and with that sort of birth of Pentecostalism, was kind of this birth of the sort of really hyper focus, I would say, on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, these sort of miraculous sign gifts were said to have returned around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, what they dubbed later is sort of that fulfillment of the latter reign that's talked about in Joel chapter 2, verse 23. I think even in the late, you know, mid to late 19th, hundreds, you know, like 1960s or something, I think they actually had a movement that started that was called the latter rain movement um, inside that might be like second wave Pentecost or Pentecostalism, I don't really know. Um, but basically, the idea of that latter rain being that God began pouring out his spirit again, starting around the 1900s, um, like he did at Pentecost. So their Pentecostalism is sort of a second Pentecost, if you will, starting around 1900s when the spirit began to be active again amongst his church, um, like he was in the days of Pentecost kind of thing. And uh, interestingly, and if I'm off base on any of this, again, I'm no Azusa Street Revival expert. This is just my, you know, what I've learned over time, partly of what I remember, and then just looking up some, you know, stuff on this. Uh, putting these notes together. Uh, so if you have better information on this, let me know. Um, but interestingly, the Azusa Street Revival was started by a man named William J. Seymour, who was a holiness pastor. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I read this article, it was again, non academic, just an article that was worth noting. And uh, he made kind of mention of what we just talked about the resulting Pentecostal movement and the later charismatic movement, which both exploded worldwide in the 20th century, both traced their roots to the Azusa Street Revival. Um, so all of that sort of stuff sort of happened, not Wesley, and you know, Wesley in uh, the Methodist church is older than that. But if you want to, I don't know, attach sort of this Pentecostalism to holiness, the power of the spirit, I mean, I don't know, that's somewhat modern starting with Pentecostalism in the early 1900s. I don't really know. But I thought it was interesting that that guy was a holiness pastor. We have a holiness movement mm -hmm. and a holiness seminary who talks about revival often. It just, you know, seems to coincide together is all I'm 
all I'm saying here. So <laughs> uh, maybe that's just a, a, too many spider webs. I don't know. But so it doesn't seem surprising is what he's saying. That's all I'm saying. Just saying it terribly. But um, I guess the point that I th- that caught my interest, I guess, is even kind of wrapping this into Pentecostalism is that um, as revivals have, you know, kind of been said to really be exploding since the birth of Pentecostalism in the night or, you know, 1906, if you want to call it that with the Azusa street, um, you know, so revivals have been becoming more frequent Uh, But our nation as a whole has sunk deeper and deeper into sinfulness right alongside them. Um, And this doesn't seem to be like the kind of revival that like we see in the Bible. We listened to a video that Nikki played from a girl and she was kind of talking about the revival of King Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. And there, you know, revival was sparked where sort of the word of God was lost. And then his um, priest found the scroll um, sort of hidden away in the temple. And when he found it and they brought God's word back to the people who had lost it, that sort of sparked revival. And out of that revival, um, King Josiah, you know, God's word started spreading again. They started having like this sweeping cleansing of pagan idols in the land. They also were removing idolatrous priests um, Mm -hmm. from the land. So that was kind of what the biblical revival looked like. Godliness and a return to God's word. There was an outward observance. An outward observance. And it wasn't just localized, really. I mean, it was sweeping. It kind of took the nation back. Um, Yet in this nation as these supposed revivals have exploded, again, we've seen an increase of idolatrous and false teachers. And a lot of these teachers seem to be put on pedestals, not really being cast down the way Josiah Mm -hmm. was. And obviously, we aren't a theocracy. We're not run by religion, you know, but even to the point where we don't have these revivals birthing us electing more and more righteous people. We're electing (laughs) worse and worse people. And politics is just a reflection of us. So when we elect dirtbags to Congress and to run our state and our Senate and all these sorts of things, that's a reflection of us. So it's like, Mm -hmm. are we really becoming more and more righteous as a people from these revivals? If we're electing worse and worse people every year, it would seem like maybe those revivals aren't real. Um, no, just thinking about the revival, like if churches like Bethel, who are caught up in these uh, new age mysticism, pagan practices with a Christian twist, we will see them <laughs> repent of that. That is something just looking on this uh, passage Spencer was talking about. Um, yeah, they will. They will repent. They will throw out their pagan ideas and they'll hopefully come out public and say we were wrong uh we deceived many people and hopefully turn people to the lord to the lord alone yeah and i I pray we do um again we pray that this is real and we pray that we see idolatrous and false teachers thrown down and you know repentance and 
return to worshiping the true God and loving his word, all of that return. Right. We hope I don't for know it. about Asbury, what kind of things they were teaching, like if they had any false um They don't sound practices. like it. You know, when I looked at their website, yeah. again, it's not something that I would necessarily adhere to, you know, some of the practices, but I would call them largely orthodox Christian teachings. Now you can say is the holiness part orthodox or not? Maybe there's some, you know, room for disagreement there. But, you know, as far as the rest of their beliefs, you know, they believe that Christ is God. They believe in the Trinity. Yeah. They believe in, you know, sanctification and justification. They believe in uh, justification by faith alone, through grace alone, and all those sorts of things. So it's not yeah. some wildly heretical church. It's a fairly orthodox church, which, again, lends credibility to the idea of a revival. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, you are right to test it and be skeptical. We should be and make sure we do our due diligence on it and not just bite off on everything that people tell us is revival or something because we want to believe it. Um, so on that, you know, is Asbury a true revival? Uh, time will tell. Yeah. You know, we certainly hope so. And if repentance, if true worship of God is long lasting. Long lasting, yeah. Then it was, right? Yeah. And if it isn't. Um, then it wasn't a real revival. Uh, so again, you're right to be skeptical uh, because this is born out of a revival culture. Again, that should give us pause. If you're a revival culture, like Asbury claims to be on their website, right? We come from a great tradition of these revivals. So they're a revival culture, uh, maybe not to the Bethel extreme, but they are. So you're right to be skeptical. Um, but then also when you tie to that, like Nikki said, it potentially spurned on by social media. Um, and it comes maybe from this tradition of Pentecostalism that's really produced a lot of false teaching. Again, I'm not saying Asbury is that. I don't see any indication of that, but right, right to be skeptical. Um, and I'll just end by mentioning here the Great Awakening, um, which took place roughly kind of like the embers lit in like 1720 to kind of the very tail end being like 1760. Um, and then really like 1730s and 40s is when um, it kind of saw the greatest transformation take place. Um, and that awakening was really brought about by serious men of God preaching the word of God to really a spiritually dead and apathetic culture in America. I mean, Christianity was not thriving in any way <laughs> in our country at the time of the Great Awakening. And that's when men like Jonathan Edwards, uh, George Whitfield, um, they kind of became sort of the figureheads of the awakening, if you want to call them that. Um, you know, George Whitfield preaching up and down the eastern seaboard. And I found this quote from Ben Franklin, who had been good friends with George Whitfield, even though he himself, I don't know, ever became necessarily a true sold out Christian. But he said uh, that it was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants. From being thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seemed as if the whole world were growing religious, so that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. So, you know, we know what the results of the Great Awakening was. You know, there was a firm reliance on divine providence, adherence to nature's law and nature's God. 
that ultimately led to human flourishing and human freedom. So is that what we're going to see from Asbury? We hope so. But again, time will tell. So I thought Mike Winger, you know, we've mentioned Mike Winger on here before. I thought his, (laughs) he had a a tweet on Twitter, obviously, uh, that I thought summed up the Asbury revival as best as anybody could. So if you're not watching the video, I'll just kind of mention it for you. He says, uh, a thread with everything I know with great confidence about the Asbury revival, one of five. And then you go down and the other four or five are just blank. (laughs) Basically, the idea is, I don't know anything with great confidence that's going on there. And I don't know that anybody else outside of those who are there um, really do. So we, again, hope and pray that this is a true and authentic work of the Holy Spirit, that lives Mm -hmm. are changed dramatically and true and lasting repentance, adherence to God's word, love for the Lord takes root and spreads all across this nation. Yeah. Even if it's, um, you know, being co-opted. You know, there's people, um, false teachers going there, the ones who kind of believe in the, kind of along the lines of the grave soaking. They think they can go to this revival, soak up the Holy Spirit, and bring it to other churches. Really weird. Um, So just because that, these weird teachers are showing up, that doesn't mean that you can't believe that God is doing something. So yeah, no. And no you know, they want to try to discredit this whole revival because of some weirdos that show up or whatever. Right. But again, you can, you can take note of it, just like all of it, take note of it, ponder it. But, you know, I guess, you know, a couple of people showing up that, you know, you would consider sort of false teachers and stuff doesn't discount or discredit the whole movement, the whole revival or anything like that. But you're right to be skeptical, right to do your homework on the on the idea. And then ultimately, you're going to have to come to your own conclusions. And again, time will tell if this was real or um, false, you know, and we pray that it's real. So do you have any last thoughts on Asbury? Nope. All righty, then. So on to our Bible topic. To those who visit Mickey D's for their favorite breakfast item and then go somewhere else for coffee, give this Mickey D's brew a second chance. The glow up was real. Try any size iced coffee brewed with 100% Arabica beans for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with a savory sausage McMuffin with egg for $2.79. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, we've been wanting to get to this topic for a while. Uh, I think we've probably mentioned we were going to talk about it quite a bit. And we even tried to talk about it earlier in the week and some technical difficulties. uh, Won't point any fingers. It was my fault. But um, it didn't ultimately happen. So we just needed to kind of find some time again to get to it. Um, And I guess on that point, we had mentioned that we were going to start talking about sin this week. Obviously, we're not going to now. We're going to be hopefully pushing back or pushing that back till next week. And we'll get into that. So like I mentioned, time management, when things kind of get bunched up on me, you know, stuff's just going to have to fall off the plate. So um, we're going to try to get to Andy Stanley today. And what better time to get to it, right? We've got 
church revivals breaking out. Um, so let's attach to that the yeah. almost <laughs> ideal model of a progressive pastor. What a day, right? Now, this isn't going to be sort of the deepest dive into all of Andy Stanley's sort of theology, history as a pastor, family lineage, or anything like that. Really, what we wanted to do was look at this article that I read um, last week. And we want to just kind of use that as our discussion, because it details a good amount about Andy Stanley's sort of life growing up as sort of a mega pastor son, uh, kind of their faith, his relationships, the family, and all that sort of stuff um, between him and his father, Charles Stanley. And we want to discuss Charles Stanley, we tried to fit it in here, but there would just be way too much to mm -hmm. talk about. So maybe next week, uh, we're going to try to squeeze in some time to look at Charles Stanley from this article, because it's less about these two men individually, you know, Charles and Andy, but it's more about what they stand for, and what sort of lessons you can glean from their lives. And there's a lot from Charles Stanley that we can glean. And so we want to we want to talk about him. I think it's worth talking about. We'll see if we can get to it next week. Don't hold us to it. Don't hold us to it. We'll do our best. <laughs> so um, that's what we're going to do today. Look at this story. And then we're also going to tie in another story from ChristianPost.com, kind of, again, about Andy Stanley and his teachings. So as always, as we mentioned earlier, the articles are going to be linked down in the show notes. Please go read them for yourself. I think you'll find them very valuable. And while you're down there, take a look for the articles. It wouldn't hurt. Take an extra second to drop a like, follow us, subscribe, whatever platform you're on, maybe even leave a nice review. Nothing's stopping you. So um, all that sort of stuff would help us out a bunch. We also have some affiliate links down there. You know, if you're in the, the need for some books, some, and we have like, christianbooks.com best buy if you're in the need for electronics or anything like that you know we have to replenish stuff for the podcast so any little bit helps doesn't cost you anything but we do get a small percentage if you guys use those links we would appreciate that as well um anyways if you uh do also want more <laughs> info from or about andy stanley and his teachings he's kind of been you know a person of interest on woke preacher clips on Twitter. We've mentioned that to you guys, I think last week or two weeks ago, woke preacher clips might actually <laughs> play a part in, you know, purifying the American church, you know, cause they shine a light on these progressive Christians, these wolves in sheep's clothing. And Andy Stanley has played a prominent role on there in uh, the previous couple weeks. So mm. do you want to honey, uh, just read the headline here. Let me get it up. Two preaching giants and the betrayal that tore them apart. Yeah. Really good article. Long article. A lot of really good stuff in there. Mm -hmm. And again, it's mostly about Charles and Andy and, you know, their relationships, yeah. all sorts of stuff. Uh, their pastoral ministries, a lot of really good stuff in there. And again, we will try to get to Charles next week. He is worth getting to, um, but we'll see if we have time for that. So right from the jump here, I just want to highlight, this has a little bit to do with Charles. Um, but these uh, quotes here from the article, it says, 
speaking of Charles, the pastor had baptized Andy when he was six and groomed him to be his successor. And then it says, Charles Stanley remembers the first time he heard his son preach. I was tickled pink, he says. Mm -hmm. I instantly knew that God could use him. And, you know, I just think this is a good lesson for all of us. <laughs> Oratory skills are not pastoral qualifications. And neither are being the son of a pastor. Mm -hmm. Being the son of a preacher is not a preacher's qualifications. Um, and in fact, you know, James tells us not many should be teachers because they'll be judged more harshly. You know, so really, we should want only the most qualified. Well, we end up like idolizing people because of their speaking gift, because they're, you know, they're they're talented, they're funny, or and and I think God would rather use uh someone who can't be praised for their skill, because then they're watching them for their entertainment, they're listening for their entertainment, and they're not listening for simply the word of God. And they become an entertainer instead of a teacher of God's word. So right, it's interesting because you can be either or. You know, we talked about Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield earlier. And that's kind of a fascinating one because, you know, George Whitfield was this amazing speaker, right? Captivating audience. You know, they said his voice could carry outdoors to, you know, six to 10,000 people could hear him uh, preach. Amazing oratory gifts. And then they say Jonathan Edwards was kind of this quiet, meek, kind of stumble over his words, you know, not very bombastic. And yet they both were used mightily by God because they were both right. really qualified for the position, right? So if all you are is a good speaker, if all you are is a guy who's funny, as they'll talk about as we go through this article with Andy, he's funny. You know, he, he says stuff we remember, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not like boy, the guy really knows how to take the word apart. You know, you know, none of that sort of stuff. It's yeah. just, so I just thought, you know, that's a good lesson. Don't be tricked by how good somebody can talk. What are they actually saying? You know, and then also, if you are a pastor, consider maybe pastoring is not the calling that your children have, even though you yourself had it. Um, because right. again, maybe Charles sort of led his son into this when ultimately he maybe should have, uh, known better, I guess, or seen the signs that he just, he doesn't believe the right things. He's not teaching appropriately. Well, what if he heard him speak for the first time and he wasn't good at speaking? Would he conclude that God could not use him? That would have been interesting. Yeah. I'm not too sure. Uh, do you want to read this next point? All right. Uh, one Sunday a gay pride group planned to march past his father's church. Leaders of the congregation, warned in advance, dismissed church early to avoid contact with the group. But organizers of the march changed the schedule. Andy watched as First Baptist members filed out of the church and gawked at gay and lesbian marchers streaming by. Then he noticed a Methodist church across the street whose members held out cups of water for marchers and signs that said, everybody welcome, come worship with us. We're the church that sings just as I am after the sermon. And here we are shunning this group of people because of a lifestyle we disagreed with, he says now. 
Yeah, so this is Andy Stanley, right? Talking about we're at my dad's first Baptist Atlanta, and one day a gay pride parade comes marching by, and um, I would say probably a bad look on the first Baptist church that they mm-hmm. ran out in fear um, and yeah. fled the scene. But also, again, right? He says, "Boy, I look across the street at this Methodist church, and they're telling us this whole gay pride parade to come in our church and worship." Um, but maybe, then the point that he said, oh, was, "I was going to say maybe they would get wouldn't be able to like drive home because they're taking over the street. Maybe it wasn't because." Maybe they that's were it. Afraid yeah, I mean, who knows? of confrontation. I think that's how it makes it seem. But it's like, yeah, you know, there's a parade coming. You don't want to get stuck where you're at. Well, so. if you were at Asbury, you wouldn't have to worry about it. Revival break out, and you wouldn't leave for days. That parade would surely. If there was a revival going on at <laughs> the Methodist Church. They would have been All going been in saved. there. <laughs> yeah, but the point I think that jumped out to me when I read this is he says. Um, you know, we're the church that sings just as I am after the sermon. And here we are shunning this group of people because of a lifestyle we disagreed with. But the thing is, it's not a lifestyle we disagree with. It's a lifestyle God abhors, right? We don't yeah. have a say in the, in the matter. That's the big difference here. It's not a disagreement. Yeah. And that's why Andy is a perfect model of a progressive Christian, right? He wants to be nicer than God. He wants to be more loving than God. He wants to correct the errors that God gave us in his word. You know, he wants to use his modern sensibilities to override God's eternal decrees. So here he is saying, why do you guys just disagree with it? And everyone else is like, what do you, it's not us. God has already determined what's acceptable and what isn't. Mm -hmm. We don't get to determine it anymore. But in Andy's mind, he does get to determine it. He gets to determine what's acceptable and what I isn't think, acceptable. I think it was right for the Methodist church to be handing out water. And I mean, you can say, yeah, you're welcome. But then if they do come in to the church, which I'm sure they're not all going to come, they weren't expecting them all to just be like, oh, yay, we're invited. Like God may have, you know, stirred the heart of a couple of those people in that parade. And maybe they remembered there's a church that wants us here. And if we're going to go to a church at all, let's go to the one who said that we could come. And if they're drawn to the church, it's just God possibly working in their heart first for them to be saved. So I don't think it was wrong for them to hold up the signs. I don't know what their intentions were. So, um, because some people do that because they really do just want to welcome everybody in the church and leave them as they are. Um, but God doesn't keep us in our sin. He loves us too much to um, let us stay in our chains of sin. Right. And Andy, Andy w- would invite them in and let them stay as they are. I mean, he makes he that would. very yeah. clear. You know, he's not going to, he's not interested in you changing your lifestyle. He agrees with it. As yeah. he says here, why do we disagree with this? I agree with it. So he, why would he ask you to change it if he agrees with it? Wouldn't make any sense. Maybe he never understood that that song he said they sing at the end of the sermon, just as I am. Yes, he accepts you, but he will change you is the point. I think he just never understood that. Well, I think there's a lot he never understood or he purposefully um, chooses not to understand, I guess. I'm sure he's a smart man. But this next point here, he says, 
Those who heard Andy's first sermon say his talent was evident from the start. He had a knack for saying things that stuck in a listener's mind. He was funny, insightful, took on hard questions, and he nudged people to look at familiar biblical passages in a new way. (laughs) Warning! Warning! That should be red lights going off. Look at biblical passages in a new way. You should reimagine biblical womanhood, right? Those are warning signs. And also, none of this, again, is a biblical qualification for a pastor. Um, Not to mention saying you're going to look at Bible passages passages in a new way should probably even push you into unqualifying it. A way that God didn't intend. So you can look at it the way God intended you to look at it. Or the way Satan is twisting it and saying, look at it this way. That's it. That's all it can be. Right. I mean, again, 2,000 years, this book has been dissected from every period, every comma placement, every apostrophe. But somehow you're going to look and go, you know, I don't know if they read Genesis 1-1 properly. Here's what it means. Like, unlikely. It's very Um, prideful to think. I figured it out. Everyone else was wrong. Wow. So not to mention again, right? Um, <sighs> why do they love Andy? Why is his talent evident? Again, is it his knowledge of the word? Is it, you know, anything of that? Is it his calling people to a life of righteousness? No, it's um, he had a knack of saying quotable things. He was funny. He was insightful. Like, what does that make a difference? Sure, it's great if you are Jonathan Edwards and you're quotable and you're funny. That's great. Those are good things to be, but they're not qualifications. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, that's why they love Andy. Boy, I always remember the funny things he says. Just because they keep you engaged, they're entertaining. I've heard people say this about other pastors. They say, oh, he's such a good pastor. You know, you love his sermons. He has such an anointing. I just, that bothers me so much. It's just like he has an anointing because he keeps you engaged. I mean, some of the truths in scripture, like some teachings on scripture are really hard and you have to stay focused on what's being said and not so much how well it's delivered, how lively the preacher is. Like you just have to really want to learn. There's a difference and just they're keeping you awake because of their their talent, their entertainment. That's not an anointing. <laughs> right. We even, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or on you know, the devotionals or maybe last week, but you know, even Paul, I can't remember what letter it was that he wrote where he talks about, you know, I didn't come to you in like eloquent speech. You know, I just right. it was Christ crucified. Like I got no, you know, quotable lines for you. I'm not coming with, you know, some funny punchlines. I'm just coming to tell you about Christ crucified. And, yeah. You know, but we're not looking for that in pastors often enough. We're looking for the funny guy um, who dresses like us and tells us our sin's okay. You know, those sorts of things. So do you want to read this next quote? Yeah. Andy had discovered another preaching mentor, the Reverend Bill Hybels, an unassuming genial pastor, the kind who travels alone without an entourage. He helped pioneer seeker churches while leading Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. 
People tend to focus on the cosmetic innovations of secret churches, incorporating contemporary Christian music and worship, injecting clever skits and colorful stage props into services. But Andy was also drawn to Willow Creek's primary mission, reaching irreligious people who had been turned off by traditional church. After hearing Hybels, Andy says, Church made sense. For the first time in my life, Hybels became his hero. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Bill Hybels, for those who don't know, is the former pastor, like they said, of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, who, um, very big church, but very recently, I think, um, he was forced to leave the church after a six-month investigation, found that he was sexually inappropriate in words and actions. Um, so he did have a bit of a falling out there. And he was a very big player uh, in the seeker-sensitive church movement. And, you know, right along with like the Rick Warrens of the world. I wonder what his, how he enacted his mission in reaching irreligious people who are turned off by traditional church. Like, what is traditional church? What what do they mean by traditional church that irreligious people didn't like? And what was their mission? How did they reach these irreligious people? How did they draw them in? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with like the environments that they set up in there, right? I mean, they... Comfort? Well, the comfort, <laughs> you know, the the shorter services, you know, the more contemporary music type stuff. Um, that was a draw down for the me sin talk. when I was younger. You know, help you overcome the battles. I think they all sort of follow those same sort of blueprints, right? Like, like great music messages. Yeah, everything is that yeah. God's there to supercharge your life and overcome your battles. Um, they're they're going to downplay the sin issues a lot. You're just um, broken. just remind you that God is love. Yeah, and these sorts of things. Where again, a traditional church may be less you know, big Bethel type band music. Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe just well, more choirs and hymns. Ah, no one wants so to go that and was his choir and hymn. Mission. That was his plan was to tone it down. Yeah. And I make mean, it's it more the same worldly. thing is like, you know, Rick Warren, right? He had the saddleback Sam. He was going for the suburban dad that, you know, that was his model. Yeah, yeah. How do I get the suburban dad into church? Uh, that sort of thing. So uh, they had a quote, in this article from uh, the report that they found on Bill Hybels. And it says uh, the report acknowledges that Hybels management style. So this is Andy's um, hero. His management style was a source of growth and global impact. <laughs> so church growth and global impact. It wasn't, you know, fostering an environment of righteousness and biblical fidelity. It was Church growth equals church success. Um, and that was the way it seemed to be in Heibel's world, right? And Rick Warren's world. It's get rid of all the stuff that gets people to leave and do more of the stuff that gets people to show up. Um, mm -hmm. Don't talk about the stuff that makes them uncomfortable. Talk about all the stuff that makes them, you know, emotionally stirred up. Church growth, global impact. And, um, We'll just remind you, as we remind often, church is for believers. Church is not for unbelievers. 
Um, and interesting about Andy is the model of progressive Christianity. Um, because I don't know, and I don't know a, a lot about Bill Hybels. I don't know if he was as far in the progressive Christianity ideas as Andy Stanley is. I just know, you know, the seeker sensitive um, aspect of Bill Hybels. I don't know if he's as far off the rails as Andy seems to be. Um, but Andy says church made sense to him the first time when it became unbiblical, really, if you want to call it that. And again, that should be a warning for us. So when he says, um, you know, that once he realized the primary mission of a church is to reach irreligious people, Mm -hmm. now church makes sense to me. Um, Yeah, he probably just should have been an evangelist and not a pastor. Yes, that is the job of an evangelist. (laughs) The job of an evangelist is to go share the gospel with the unsaved people. So Andy may have maybe had a calling to be an evangelist. He was funny, quotable, engaging, but a pastor's job is quite different. A pastor's job is to, you know, train God's people in righteousness. Um, Yeah, you're working with believers. You're shepherding believers and evangelists. And the flock is believers, not irreligious people. The evangelist is trying to convert. So again, but we've made this mistake in our country. We've turned the church into the outreach where it's just, hey, you know what? The pastor's really busy with, you know, writing books and I don't know, doing all these other things with the 19 church services they have. He doesn't have time to go out and reach the lost. But if you go and bring all your lost friends here, that just makes it easier for us. That's the wrong model. Um, The model is you train up your people in church through sound biblical teaching and you send them out into the world, right, to share the gospel message. And then those people, right, either as they've accepted the gospel message or they become at least intrigued, come into the church to be saved and then sanctified. It's not just, you know, bringing all the unsaved people to hang out here while we hope we can convince one or two of them, but they stay for the coffee and the music kind of a thing. That's not the model. So Andy may have been better suited as an evangelist than a pastor, And sadly, I would say maybe most of our, maybe not most, but a lot of our pastors might be better suited that way. Um, Other than, I guess, if you don't really like going out and doing outreach, you're probably not a great evangelist. If you just want unsaved people to come to you, then maybe you're not a great evangelist anyway. So, Um, but he said in there, did we read that quote? I don't think so. The progress Uh, one? Yeah, let me see if I can find it. No. If I pulled that quote here. Oh, I just. Yeah, here it is. Uh, This quote from Andy says, caused him to really have affection for Bill Hybels in Willow Creek, that they were more committed to progress than maintaining traditions. Um, Does there need to be a more clear indication of a progressive Christian yeah, I know what you guys have been doing for 2000 years, all that stuff Jesus and the apostles taught you. Ah, yeah, yeah, I got it. How are we going to progress this thing? They're looking at church like it's a business and they're looking at quantity over quality. That's all it is. 
Yeah, it's like, oh, well, we need a new Windows 12 needs to come out. Windows 11 is outdated. (laughs) We need the new New Testament to come out because the other two are old and outdated. They're not coming out. It's the same old and New Testament that it's always been. Tradition, you should be leery when you veer too far off course from tradition. You know, I've mentioned that quote from John Piper on here before where he said he was accused of someone said, you know, John, you never say anything new. And he was like, I hope I never say anything new. He's like, everything worth saying's already been said. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to remind you of it, call you yeah. back to it. So if your idea is progress is the most important thing, that is dangerous territory. Yeah, we don't need to hear anything new. People don't even know what's already written. They don't even understand 5% of their Bible. Yeah, here's the new thought with Christianity. All the old stuff doesn't make a difference anymore. How you feel, that's what's right. Welcome to modern Christianity. Um, Do you want to read this next quote? Andy incorporated some of Heibel's innovations into his father's satellite church. He stopped wearing suits in the pulpit, as his father had insisted. The church grew even more. Yep. And, you know, as we've mentioned many, many times, here is the fatal flaw of the American church. Right. And we can blame, at least in some small part, the Bill Hybels, the Rick Warrens, and probably many others for this. The church growth equals church success. The more Andy drifted from the Bible, the more the church grew. And in that case, it must be working, right? More people are showing up, must be working. He's got a whole church of irreligious people, and he's teaching them to look at the Bible in a new way. Must be great, right? God must be in it. You know, I don't, I don't know. Again, not to say that you have to necessarily be in a suit to be a preacher, though I would encourage you to dress appropriately for the position. It makes those irreligious people uncomfortable when you look like you're taking the word of God seriously. They feel much more comfortable when it looks like Phil Dooley just got off a surfboard and came to (laughs) preach the word of God um, with his beanie cap on. But. So this next quote here, um, in the article, it goes through sort of Charles Stanley's divorce and the fallout from all of that. And that's where this quote sort of comes to or comes from. And it's sort of Andy's Andy's point of view. And he says, um, so his father smiled and asked him what he thought, talking about the divorce. You know, Andy's saying all these years later, you never asked me what I thought. And he says, well, what do you, you know? what you what you thought about it and he says walk into church next sunday and read a letter of resignation and he said tell them that you want to continue as their pastor and will preach as long as they want daddy your church is not going to leave you and he said they need the opportunity to choose to have you as a pastor if you divorce if you do this it all ends let them choose So again, this has to do with Andy's parents getting a divorce. And after really years, um, Andy finally sort of confronting his dad about why he never asked him what he thought. That's kind of where this quote's coming from. Uh, And we'll talk more about the divorce when we talk about Charles. Uh, But I guess my first point when I read this, you know, I put uh, a grown man should never call his father daddy. Because uh, Andy is a grown man at this point, probably 
well into his, you know, early middle ages at this point. <laughs> Should never call your father daddy. Uh, I just sounds a bit weird and it is weird to me. I don't know if you call your dad, daddy, I guess, forgive me. Um, let me know, but seems odd to me, not something I would, I would be caught doing, but, uh, yeah, any, <laughs> but also with this quote, I think Andy started off well, kind of confronting his dad there, but I think he blew it at the end. Um, you know, telling him to take your letter, tell your church you're resigning, like, man, that's bold confrontation. Um, and as we talk about in the divorce, probably even the right thing to say to his dad. Uh, but then at the end there, he blows it by telling them, let the people choose. Because that's the progressive Christian in him. That's the model of progressing Christ or progressive Christianity. How did they choose? Did he just say, raise your hand if you want me to stay? Raise your hand if you don't. Right. He says, Was it like anonymous? Either way. I mean, whether it's raise your hand or anonymous, but you're asking the people, how do you feel about Charles staying as your pastor? But we know that's incorrect, right? Jeremiah 17, 9, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, right? A pastor shouldn't be asking his congregation, what do you feel is right? <laughs> a pastor or leader should be instructing his people in what is right. Did he also tell them the qualifications for a pastor just to help them decide? Well, the qualification is, I'm your pastor. <laughs> Don't you know? Right? No, but our feelings will always lead us astray. That's why we have the written word of God that we should be adhering to, and we should be having teachers teach us the word of God. Right? But for a progressive Christian, like Andy Stanley, like Bethel on the farther end, feelings and experience trump scripture. So going to your dad and just going, Dad, just ask him if they want you to stay. Well, yeah, Charles has probably been their pastor for 40 years. You think they're going to be like, get that bum out of here. I know I've only sat under his teaching for 40 years, but I couldn't wait to get rid of the but man. If they thought he shouldn't be pastor. They would have left. The fact that they're still there shows <laughs> yeah. that they want him. Yeah. So that. So we'll talk more about that. But yeah, that's the wrong idea of a pastor ask your people how they feel or what they think is right the and then ones. just do what they say no <laughs> not they showed up good advice they want you yeah um, do you want to read this next quote um andy says he could not have stayed at his father's church no matter how much money or fame he stood to gain yeah and this is just kind of an off topic point here but no pastor, <laughs> I think, should be offered anything of this sort. No. If any part of your pastoral, I guess, um, your position, where position you're at, comes yeah. with money and fame, which I know they do, but that is such a danger to offer to a pastor. Money and fame. I mean, fame is the worst mm. addiction, the worst poison. And... That's just weird that he acknowledges it. He's like, I know I'll be famous there. And Charles does, right? He has a global ministry, one of the most famous pastors in the in America. And you know that money and fame come with it. But like, boy, if you could rid anything of the church, <laughs> probably famous pastors and wealthy pastors, 
because nothing perverts the mind more than fame and money. And, you know, nothing gets you to sort of cave to really, you know, stick into God's word, like the potential to lose fame and money. And, you know, when we talk about Charles and you, we talk about how he, you know, was elected pastor and the stuff that they went through during his pastoral selection, you get why maybe it was such a tense environment because money and fame follows the position of preacher at First Baptist Atlanta, you know, but I know that it's a problem probably in all mega churches. You know, we reviewed the rise and fall of Mars Hill and that was Mark Driscoll, right? The amount of money he was making there and Mm -hmm. the fame that he gained through his internet persona basically ruined the man. Or maybe you would say he was ruined already, but either way, it didn't help him. It sped up the spiral for sure. And, you know, so money and fame should never be, I guess, going hand in hand with pastoral position. That's just, I think, waiting to be abused and misused. Oh, yeah. They're not there to look after the sheep. They're just there for themselves. They don't care. I mean, not all of them, certainly, but I think it definitely well, the ones pulls who have to you. Bring up those two subjects. It definitely pulls you into that direction. I mean, that's just human nature. You know, it would take a very strong person to be like, yeah, you know, I've got this seven-figure job as a pastor with worldwide fame, and I know every time I preach on this sin, you know, my paycheck goes down by a hundred thousand dollars. But you know what? I'm going to just keep on preaching it. It's it's unlikely. It's unlikely. Um, this next mm-hmm. quote here, he says, The church drama lasted seven years. The divorce became final in 2000. And, or, and First Baptist eventually voted to retain Charles as his pastor. We just want to highlight this. So as we mentioned, Dad, just ask them what they think is right. Well, apparently they did ask him, and what did they do? Well, they reelected and chose to keep Charles as their pastor. Surprise, surprise. The guy who'd been their pastor since their parents were at the church just couldn't bring themselves to get rid of the man. So who would have thought? They voted with their heart, I'm sure. Um, Do you want to read this last quote here from this article? Critics accuse Andy of being too accommodating. He won't draw theological lines in the sand. His sermons are too self-help, too christian light. He is an introvert who struggles at times even to make conversation off stage with members of his church, but he will still invite listeners who disagree with his sermons to contact him afterward. People who have written him scathing letters are sometimes shocked to hear his voice on the other end of their phone line. He was criticized recently for preaching a sermon that mentioned gay people, but no explicit condemnation of homosexuality. I'm always trying to look for ways to affirm everything, maybe to a fault, Andy says. Yep. This again, the problem with progressive Christianity, uh, because inclusivity is the enemy of Christianity. Uh, Jesus is the way and he is the only way. That is not inclusive. That is very exclusive. Yeah. Now, all can come for sure. All can come, but all will be molded into his image. 
not their own image, whatever they feel like. Exactly. Yeah. Holding on to your image, your identity. You can't hold on to your identity. You conform to his image, like you said. Yeah. And that might be the most progressive statement you'll ever hear from a pastor. Yeah. I'm always looking for ways to affirm everything. (laughs) What? Not I'm always looking to draw people into right alignment with God's commands. You will not grow in holiness. You won't be sharpened being under a pastor like that. No. You won't grow. If you go in and tell your pastor your sin and he affirms it, (laughs) you should run out. You'd be like, what? That is not what you're supposed to tell me. Like, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I need help. I need to break free from this, not just... Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you're gay. I'm heterosexual. It's all the same. (laughs) No, man, Uh, that is a wrong message. So again, the model of progressive Christianity is Andy Stanley, um, a dangerous man. And we have one more article, as we mentioned before, um, to look at as it kind of ties to this last point here, as they mentioned, you know, his recent comments about homosexual uh, homosexuality. Uh, and this is really what got him into the most recent, you know, headlines. And this article is from the Christian Post. And it says, uh, this is really the tweet that got the ball rolling recently with Andy. It says, last month, a short clip of Stanley was posted on Twitter in which he said a gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. How, what is he accusing of them? How has his church been known to treat the gay community? Is he, is he disciplining them? Is he saying they're treating them wrong? No, this is just that constant sort of Christian bashing that you know, we just, I don't know, aren't kind enough. Again, I mean, it's just the idea that you're not affirming enough. You're telling homosexuals their lifestyle is wrong. And that means you're bad. So again, they have more faith. You, But think how ludicrous this is. And if you're an easily offended type, think how insulting <laughs> this is, right? He's looking out at the crowd and saying, All of you who actually believe in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, you know, actually believe in picking up your cross daily to follow Christ. You know, these people over here who find their identity in sin, they've chosen to disregard scripture. They've made God in their own image. They, in fact, have more faith than you do. (laughs) What? Like, that should have been pretty shocking to hear if you were in the audience. Not to mention they have more faith than even their pastor seems to have. But it's saying that they, they have faith that they'll be accepted. It's not talking about faith in Jesus. That's not even what he's talking about. He's talking about being accepted, the, about their faith in being accepted Well, I think he's saying the that church. they have more faith in God. They're like, they continue, they're willing to keep coming even through the torment that they receive. Whereas we as... We don't suffer with homosexuality. So we've been, you know, had the red carpet rolled out for us for God. But for them, they've had to scale Mount Everest to get to God. Think of the faith. You know, that to me, that's the way I read it. 
<sighs> That's why they have yeah. more faith in you because they fought years of persecution. And I think the further points that he's going to make in this, I think, highlight that. So um, do you want to read these next two quotes? A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm going to try it anyway. Have you ever done that as a straight person? Where do you go that you're not sure you're going to be accepted and you go over and over and over? Stanley asked in the viral clip. Stanley acknowledged that there were verses in the Bible that condemned homosexuality, but then added, Oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father, who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. God said no, and they still love God? Oh, brother. So, again, Andy is the model of a progressive Christian. He, like probably almost all progressive Christians, they get to tell God what's good enough. And it's generally based on modern progressive values. And then God just needs to accept it. The Christian church needs to accept it, basically. But think about the statement that he makes here. He basically says God is guilty of sin. Um, because these humble, as he's trying to painting them, these humble, faithful seekers who told, you know, they were told no by God. Right, he says they're 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old homosexuals that are just crying out to God to be delivered, and God said no. But don't we all struggle with sin still? God didn't no. remove all of our he didn't Not just the way take they away. Do. Like, even though we're born again, we still struggle with sin. We still struggle, struggle with wrong desires, but we confess if I follow through with that desire. I am sinning. I'm sinning against God. So the same thing with someone who struggles with homosexuality. It's not that God's like, no, you're going to stay homosexual. That's what I want you to be. It's like, no, just acknowledge it's sin and ask for God, God's grace to help you not give in, just like with any other right, struggle Right, but that's not what Andy teaches them because that is absolutely not what he's saying. He's telling them, in fact, God chose May to you say— that way? No, I'm not going to set you free from that sin. You're going to live in that sin, which again is why he's saying, well, how can it be a sin? God refused to take it away from them, right? All they wanted was to be set free from this lifestyle and God told them no. So God must really not be that good. He just left them there. And so think of the faith. Even God turned his back on them, yet they continue to come. That is so twisted. It's God does give us grace to overcome. So he's not even going to preach a message on the Holy Spirit convicting of sin. He'll never be able to preach on overcoming sin to anybody. If you can't preach it to homosexuals, you can't preach it to any other congregation. Right. I mean, how do you go to the drug addict who's trying to be set free from his drug abuse? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm just like, the homosexual, you know, I asked God and he said no to me too. And Andy's like, well, look at the faith of this brother. He cried out to God and God told him no too. Our mean old dad up there just not setting people free. 
But look at that faith. You know what, brother? You go and shoot up that heroin. Because if God wanted you free, he would have freed you. He would have taken the desire away. Yeah, well, sometimes. Yeah. That's just taking up our cross and dying to the flesh. It's it's not easy. I mean, you've got to battle our flesh every day. Every day we're at war with the flesh. The spirit and the flesh are at war. And we have to help our brothers and sisters who are really struggling. Um, if people struggle with those kinds of things that, yeah, those things, you know, like a drug addict, I don't know. I don't know about homosexuality, how hard that is than any other sexual sin to abstain from. But the drug addict thing, like you got to really be there for them because that's, that is an addiction. I guess that I see that is a little different because that's something you, you're addicted to because you did it at first. I don't know. But we all struggle with sin and we have to help each other, um, encourage one another, remind each other, pray for one another. Um, We're not supposed to bear those burdens alone. Just confess our weaknesses and say, I'm really struggling right now. Please. Well, I don't know what he's going to be able to teach him when he just tells them, Hey, the God who's supposed to set you free is the one who's already told, you no. So best of luck, you know, it's just, it's a perverse teaching for sure. Um, we got one last quote here from this article and it's by this fella, Stephen Black. And he said, it says, Black believed that it was important for sincere Bible-believing Christians who have a saving faith to pay attention to what leaders like Stanley are really communicating in their nuanced words. Simply said, people like Stanley are filled with unbelief concerning the transforming grace of God, he continued. They are telling on themselves that they have a terrible theology of easy believism that does not require real change or or repentant life that endures to the end. And the Stephen Black fella is the executive director of something called First Stone Ministries. Um, I just thought that quote really summed up pretty nicely. Uh, Because I don't know any sincere Christian that dislikes LGBTQ individuals simply on the basis of them being in that community. Right. You know, what I believe and what I think that this gentleman... Uh, black is kind of saying is an LGBTQ lifestyle is incompatible with a Christian lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. Something we've said on here before. And again, the church is for Christ followers to come and worship the Lord, to give honor to God, learn from God ordained leaders and how we can live lives of righteousness. You know, because thinking back to like the Methodist church saying, come worship with us. Like all worship, whatever we deem as worship is not necessarily proper worship. You know, just because you say like, oh, I'm worshiping God. I have my Bethel soaking music on and, you know, me and my same sex partner are laying in bed together, just worshiping God. That in fact is not worship to God. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse one. Do you want to read that, honey? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Yeah, so our bodies being a living sacrifice to God, which is our worship, right? So then willfully letting your body be used in a sinful Mm -hmm. way is not God-honoring worship, no matter how you feel about it. 
So you could say, wow, I overcame a lot of sin today. I died to my flesh a lot. I didn't give in to lust, to sinful cravings. I worshiped God today because I died to my flesh. Yes. Nobody sees that as worship, though. You, that's just. That's far more worship than saying, you know, I gave in to all my sinful desires while listening to Caleb on the radio and reading my Sarah Young devotional and, um, you know, I don't know, closing my eyes and transporting to heaven. Like, yes, standing against sin, crying out to God to help you, um, relying on your brothers and sisters and, you know, opening his word. That's far better worship <laughs> than whatever the stuff I mentioned before was. Yeah, um, bearing with one another in love um, is worship, um, being together um, in fellowship and dealing with one another. <laughs> that is worship. It's sacrifice, really dealing with our flesh and dying to our flesh. Sometimes just being around, there's believers that are, might not enjoy being around a lot. Like we're told to bear with one, one another. It's not all butterflies and sunshine all the time. It's yeah. So that's an act of worship too. It's just loving one another in yeah. spite of how difficult we can be toward one another, forgiving one another. I forgot I had one more quote in here from Andy Stanley. I just wanted to read off. He says, we have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who want to worship with us. He continued, I know the verses. I know the clobber passages, right? We got to figure this out. And you know what? I think you are. So again, on the idea of people who don't want to give up their sinful lifestyles have more faith than you uh, mindset. So again, in Andy Stanley's mind, um, Christians have a lot to learn about faith um, from people that won't submit to the Lordship of Jesus. And he might be right based on the people that go to his church and sit under his stewardship. But generally speaking, I would say this is untrue. <laughs> um, and just on this note, because he is, I think, a great model. When you think of progressive Christian, you should put Andy Stanley's face in your mind. Um, because I think the progressive Christian, and especially the progressive Christian church leader, is one of, if not the greatest plague on the American church right now. You know, mm -hmm. the blue haired, you know, kind of rainbow smock wearing non-binary pastors, they're easily identifiable as wolves. You know, no sincere believer is going to be fooled by such a person. You know, we see them all on the internet or woke preacher clips, and it's easy. You know, the hard part is to not mock them and, you know, ridicule them. But they're easily identifiable. But the Andy Stanleys of the world, right, they lead compassionate caring people astray in their faith by substituting this sort of liberal, emotional, self-help worldview. They substitute it for scripture, and then they call it Christianity. So that's the danger. We can all see the non-binary, blue-haired pastor and go, what in the world is that? But you can be led astray by the Andy Stanley. You're like, you know, what? I do want to love people. 
You know, what you know, you can be led down that path to like, well, yeah, we should just yeah. let everybody in. Because you might have that evangelistic heart, so you're drawn to the way that he reaches out to he calls it irreligious people. So those people with that same mindset who want to show the gospel will probably like going to his church. Right. But you got to be cautious because before you know it, you're looking at the Bible in a new way, right? Yeah. You're looking to affirm everything. You're going soft on sin. Um, and all these sorts of areas that are deadly to a Christian. And mm-hmm. that's very, that can be very difficult to identify, you know, and that's why I think he's far more of a danger, you know, than the atheist or even the crazy, yeah. you know, off the wall, like I talked about, blue haired, non-binary, transgender pastor, like they're not a danger. Um, I mean, they are in a sense, but very small and noticeable. The Andy Stanleys of the world, I mean, they're leading a lot of people astray and until America sort of gets its arms around that, I'm not saying everybody has to follow the exact same ideas of teaching, but man, when you don't teach righteousness, you don't teach sanctification, you don't teach, you know, Jesus as Savior and Lord, you just teach the Savior part, Mm -hmm. you know, all these sorts of things, like you're leading people astray Mm -hmm. and they're putting their trust and their faith in you. And, you know, you sort of wrap it in just enough Bible verses to sell it to them the Joel Osteen style. People aren't discerning because they're not reading scripture for themselves. You can't just rely on someone to just give you sermons. You have to be in the word yourself. And I was just going to say about the him saying that the homosexual community coming into the church has more faith because God told them no, um, you know, years ago when maybe they cried out concerning that sin. And so they still struggle with it. So they think that that's God saying no. What about those who are faithful in the church? You've been going for years and they've been dealing with an illness and they still deal with that illness. And God told them, no, they're just not healed yet. Maybe what about their faith? What about shining the light on those people who actually are faithful and live righteously and they're still dealing with a serious sickness? Their faith shines brighter. Very few churches want to highlight those people, um, sadly enough, right? That's not a great marketing tactic when your church growth equals church success. Hey, look at the, you know, what's the girl's name that we listened to? Jane. Uh, what's her name? Awesome woman. She was paralyzed from the neck down. Um, great oh, testimony. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, there's not a lot of seeker sensitive churches. The Bethels of the world are not wheeling her out to highlight her faithfulness. I know. You know, because that just doesn't really sell quite as well. Um, That God is sufficient for her. His grace is sufficient. Mm. Yeah, That's not a selling message. You know, it's much easier to sell. You know what? Your sin, it ain't really sin. God loves you just the same. The more sinful you are and you come to church shows how much more faith you have. It's a lot easier to sell. So, gosh, you know, This to us, you know, these people, the Andy Stanleys of the world, they're kind of the epitome of what we've talked about. They're the holding someone's hand as they walk them to hell and call it love. Um, You should run from the Andy Stanleys of the world. You should call them out. You should condemn them when you hear it. And you should flee from that teaching Um, because it's only going to lead you astray. 
And, you know, it's, I think for the Andy Stanleys of the world, you know, they're convinced, hey, the church is growing. I must be doing something right. Well, empty no, that church building out then. They just are there for the fame. Empty that church building out so he realizes that it must not be working. I don't know. Um, do you have any last thoughts on Andy Stanley, on Asbury, before we get our sermon recommendation? That there is a revival. I pray these churches do. That they really get on their knees and they ask for a revival. And they may not even be knowing what they're asking for, but they get the revival that they actually need. Yeah, you know, maybe it's the King Josiah come out and cleanse the city of the idolatrous priest. Cast the Andy Stanleys and the Bill Johnsons out of their churches and raise up righteous men in their place. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Yeah. So um, we do have a short sermon recommendation here. It's kind of just a little three or four minute clip here called uh, from Dr. Michael Kruger. What is progressive Christianity? And he gives just a short little, like, like I said, three to four minute kind of three point uh, talk on what to look out for in a progressive Christian. So um, if you want kind of just a quick, succinct idea of what to look out for, what does it mean to be a progressive Christian? He does that pretty quickly. It's a good listen. But other than that, we uh, will be back Monday, daily devotionals, going through the gospel of Luke again. I'm still working through Luke. And then next week, We'll try to get Charles Stanley in here, at least a few talking points about Charles, because I think we can learn a lot from him. And then Knowing Sin, we'll be looking at whatever sin number one is in that book. And then I guess, yeah, we'll see whatever whatever the world throws at us between now and then. We'll try to get our arms around. But until then, pray for Asbury. Pray that revival does sweep this land and uh, righteousness returns. Mm -hmm. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you guys on Monday. God bless. Mm -hmm.